Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm the host, Lorena Turner. I'm a lecturer in the Communication Department at the California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California, and I'm I'm also a project-based photographer. Recently, I talked with photographer David Carroll about his new book, or his most recent book, No Plan B, which is a collection, or really a culmination of his road trips from 1993 to 2016. No Plan B is David's fifth book of photography. His other books include Where's the Monkey, 40 Miles of Bad Road, and All of My Lies Are True. And there's one more, but I didn't include that. David was born in New York City and attended the School of Visual Arts and the New School for Social Research, where he studied under Lizette Modell. He was uh, the first assignment photographer for the Image Bank Photo Agency, which is now a part of Getty Images, at the age of 26. David has traveled the world taking pictures for himself and for others for over 30 years. Hello and welcome to New Books in Photography. Today I'm talking with photographer David Carroll about his book, No Plan B. Welcome to the podcast, David. Hi. That's it. I'm done. Bye. (laughs) Wow, that was so quick. Right? Um, can you uh, describe your new book, No Plan B? Okay. So I won't literally describe the book. I'll describe the concept and then a little bit about the book. Sure. So the deal was a few years back, I was, I was romanced into writing an article about my youth and uh, I titled it No Plan B. And then after doing that, I thought, oh, that's a good title. One day uh, I'll have another book. And I'll name it No Plan B. So that was the title. So the impetus of this book was Leica asked me, Leica the Canon manufacturer, asked me to do a retrospective show at their gallery in New York City. And since I'm partners in a book publishing company called Peanut Press, I thought, well, let's make a catalog. And uh, actually, my first book that I ever did about 15 years ago, which was called 40 Miles of Bad Road, was supposed to be a catalog for the Stephen Dater Gallery. And I turned it into a hardcover book. And guess what? It happened again. What the, I mean, oh, I, and I'm not allowed to use obscenity, right? Okay. So what the fuck do I need a catalog for? I mean, catalogs are soft covers and they end up, people look at them and the corners get bent and fuck that. So I said, let's make a real book. I think I can sell enough that we won't lose money. And Leica's supporting it. So we had the show and the book is literally the show. 32 photographs from my career. Actually, not my career, from 1993 to date. And 1993 was important because it was a big segue in my career. I was shooting a lot of color. I was doing assignments. I was traveling the world. Looked good on paper, but I wasn't shooting for myself. So I had an assignment to go to Russia. I decided I would shoot color for the assignment and black and white for myself. And that was 1992. And I ended up starting, I started shooting black and white for myself again and got back to shooting for myself. So that's when we started editing for this book, this show. So it's 32 photographs that are, to me, represent my career. 
my personal work, 32 years. And the show's actually going to Florida this winter uh, to Miami to be shown down there. So the show be, is developing a life of its own and moving around, but the book is the book. Is, so, um, is, is this good? show – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying, is that a good description? That's a great description. There you go. <laughs> Does, just as a, as a side question, uh, but, but yet still relevant, is the, um, is the show in Florida, is that also in association with uh, Leica? Do they have a yeah, gallery Leica. in Florida? Yeah, Leica. is moving it around. So, um, and I don't want to appear immodest. Sure. But in reality, I'm not the biggest fan of doing photo shows. Um, generally speaking, it's a lot of work and a lot of planning, a lot of effort and very little return. Um, you have a show, you don't sell shit, maybe you sell five pictures, you make a little bit of money, and it's all this exhaustion for nothing. Uh, I love books. I like photo books. It's, I think it's the best way to look at photographs where you can sit on your couch or in a chair and relax and look at the photos. So the fact that the photo show is working with the book, I like. So the immodest part was I've been offered a couple other shows that I'm in debate of do, uh, I'm debating internally whether or not I'm going to do them. I got to figure out if it's worth it. I mean, if I was 24 years old and I got a free trip to Chicago, I'd be like, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> but at this point in my life, it's like, oh, I like Chicago. And I do like Chicago. I have a lot of friends. But do I want to schlep to Chicago? Oh, I've used an identifier. See, I'm Jewish. Uh, do I want to schlep to Chicago <laughs> and put up pictures on walls? Not literally. And stand there like a, like a fucking dick and talk to people. I don't know. So that's what I'm debating right now. Florida was a no-brainer, and I'll tell you why. I went to look at what the gallery looked like online, and the show that was up was Mary Ellen Mark. Okay, I'm in. I mean, it literally was like, you know, like it gets good people and they have beautiful space. So how do you say no to that? So I'm in debate about some other things. So that's the life of the show is right now doing that. And obviously uh, the book and the show support one another, you know. Sold a lot of books through the Leica store in New York City with the book signing and so on. So that's also has value, you know. Sure. It's, describe a little bit of your history of working in photography. Okay. All right. Let's go back to the beginning. I was yes. a small boy at a 50,000-watt radio station. No, that's actually Ted Baxter. Um, let's see who picks up that reference. Uh, uh, so Very good. Um, it's because you're not 22. <laughs> um, so where am I? Oh, yeah. So I got into photography when I was about 18 or 19. A friend of mine got a camera for his birthday, and I thought, those are cool. I mean, I was a visual guy. I drew a lot and we made cartoons and we made comic books, you know, all the kind of stuff. Um, I wasn't necessarily an indoor kid. I rode motorcycles and I played sports, but I was more of like a, I hate to use the word artsy because I think it sounds pretentious, but I like making stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was that kind of kid. So I had to figure out how to go to art school and I figured a camera was the easiest way since my drawing was adequate, but nothing special. And I wasn't about to learn how to do something. So I figured a camera was easy peasy. So I got the camera. I applied to SVA. School of Visual Arts, somehow I got in, and that's where I started taking pictures, really. I was sort of just shot a little bit. So I went to School of Visual Arts, um, lasted about two years, ran out of money. And in those days, you weren't allowed to go a million dollars into debt, borrowing for school. Not that I'm even sure I would have had I known how to do that. Mm -hmm. But so I dropped out of school in my second year, and I moved to Paris with a one-way ticket. I was that guy who bought a $300 one-way ticket on People's Express. I flew into Brussels, had it like 100 in my pocket. And, and I ended up spending almost two years there and started shooting, worked for some magazines by lying and saying I already knew how to do everything. Because so let's be honest. What did you have? Well, at that point, okay, so my first camera was a Minolta XG7 and it had an automatic setting on it, which was critical when I was like 19 or 20 years old because I didn't know anything about anything. 
And then after about a year at school, I took my student loan. Oh, yeah, that's right. I took out a $2,500 student loan, but I bought a camera and a lens with it. I bought a Leica uh, M42, which was the new camera in those days, and a 35 Summicron, which was the lens. Get all technical. And that's what I had. So when I dropped out of school, I had that, and I went to France with that. But I borrowed – I must have borrowed equipment. I actually don't remember, but I shot for, like, magazines, you know? Mm-hmm. So I must have borrowed something from somebody. But as in all photography and maybe all careers – you know, you just lie and say you know how to do it. And I did. And then I hired an assistant who actually knew how to do it. And, uh, you know, so that worked out for a little while. And then I bailed and I came back to the States. And then the dream come true happened. I started working for the biggest photo agency in the world called the Image Bank. Mm-hmm. And after oh grinding gosh, that, it. I remember the Image Bank. Right? Yeah. That was a big uh, thing in the 80s. Absolutely. And uh, so I was like, I had a shit job there. I literally, my first job in photography, I had a couple of freelance photo jobs. You know, shooting bands and stuff because a friend of mine was in the industry. Um, but nothing, you know, maybe I made 500 bucks in a year. But my first job in photography so was writing a number on the side of a slide that corresponds with the photographer that took it. I would sit there with a stack of slides writing numbers on the side. I know, right? I mean, it doesn't get worse than that, I guess, unless you're outside. I mean, listen, I could be digging ditches. I, right. I get that it's not that big a deal. So I did that for a little while, and then I worked my way up and became production manager at Image Bank. And then I started shooting their, um, like, parties, their PR, their meet and greets, because I guess I had a strobe and a camera. And the owner of the company offered me a job to be an assignment photographer for them under the illusion that I actually knew what I was doing. Hmm. True story. So we signed a contract and I became the first assignment photographer for the image bank shooting stuff to fill their files. And I start, I guess that was 1980. Yeah. I'm probably lying. 85, maybe mm-hmm. or 86, something like that. Mm-hmm. I was in my mid twenties and uh, I started doing that. I did that for a few years and I got to travel all over the world on somebody else's dime and learn how to be a photographer. Cause in a way, you know, photography is, yeah, you got to be able to take a picture, but I feel like that's the, that's the low bar. Like you've got to be competent. Once you're competent, now you got to figure out how to get an airplane with film and land in, you know, in St. Andrews, Scotland, and then go to Amsterdam and then come back around through London and shoot everything and stay organized and plot your thing and come back to New York. Well, I had three years of training how to do all that stuff. I mean, I went from the North Pole. I've been up near the North Pole seven times. So that's like, all right, like nobody's doing that on their own penny. Um, So, yeah, so that was my beginning. And. During all this time, I was trying to shoot my own work in black and white. And that's where I had the problem I spoke about earlier, where I just started seeing everything commercially and I couldn't take a picture anymore. And in the late 80s, I was making more money than I ever dreamed of. I grew up kind of poor. I mean, I was poor. I, you know, from my teens on, I had no money. So I was starting to make like real money, like, like 10,000 in a month, which was not even what you made a year in my mind. Right, shooting all the stuff. But the thing that was missing was I wasn't shooting for myself. So as I said earlier, I was going to Russia to shoot spec for General Electric jet engines. They were going to sell engines to Aeroflot. And I think everybody at the agency kind of knew it was bullshit and Aeroflot would never pay. And But everybody thought it was exciting. So I went to Russia. I spent about a week or so there, maybe 10 days. I don't remember how long. And I shot for them, but I also shot for me. And that was like a little of the kick in the ass that I needed. And I started shooting black and white. And shooting for myself again. And that was a long time ago, and I've never stopped. So even though I've, even though I've had jobs in photography, I was director of photography at CBS's outdoor advertising division. I did all this, like, legit stuff to support my habit of food and 
housing, <laughs> shelter, and, and, yep. yes, basics. And family. Shot for life. And the advantage, of course, of that is you shoot what you want because there's no consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I was going to be able to make the money doing other stuff. So you can just do what you want. I mean, it's a luxury. Well, I mean, it's a luxury. I created it. You know, Jerry Seinfeld was once interviewing somebody in his show and they said, I'm lucky. And Jerry said, you're not lucky. You decided to leave your job. You decided to be a comic. You decided to put in the effort. So am I lucky? Clearly, I was in the right place at the right time a lot. But I do believe photographers that go out and take, you know, do what they want aren't necessarily lucky because lots of people don't try. So. I, I, before we, before we're going to talk about your book in just a, a minute, but before we do that, I you wanted to say, um, Oh, is that what the show is about? Books? Yes. Okay. I'll it's about, about your about book it. and books, yes. photo book. And I wanted to say that in the late eighties, which was kind of about the time that I started getting into photography, not exactly, but close enough. A friend of mine acquired one of those image bank giant catalogs. Sure. Like the giant books. And can he explain to I'm me like, there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sure you are. This is what stock photography is. And you know, oh, yeah. it was like a whole new world kind of opened up to me. I, I can't say, I mean, because it's commercial work, it's not work that resonated with me specifically, but that there was, you know, it was just this really interesting kind of introduction into um, photography. So that was, we crossed paths this, back then. The luck of my life mm-hmm. was that I was in the right place at the right time that people in stock were making a lot of money. Right. That's over now. I'm still connected to Getty Images, mm-hmm. but there's no money anymore. In those days in the 80s, you genuinely could make six figures shooting garbage. And what was great about sh- – I mean garbage, you know, shooting stock that right. could sell. But what's great about that is you don't really use your mind in the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like I was baking cookies and then shooting for myself. It, they never really crossed paths once I understood how to separate them. Right. And that was the color and black and white thing. But, yeah, no, stock was a, a godsend in the 80s for a whole bunch of us. Mm-hmm. Who got to go out and make a living, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the money was, was, I mean, outside of what you just said in terms of the I mean, it's crazy. making yes. a month. It's crazy. It's insane. People yeah. can't make that now. It's so sad. But now they can get famous. See, now everybody can get well-known and be poor. Right. Back then, you, you were unknown and poor. <laughs> you were you know, <laughs> quietly enjoying your, your status. Your deprivation. <laughs> so uh, let me say this. I have a bunch of books out over my lifetime, over the last 15 years. And I always go with sort of titles that I think stand on their own. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe I, now that I'm saying it, I'm thinking all my photos, I feel like they have to stand on their own. You know, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a documentary photographer. Each picture has to stand on its own. So maybe the title has to stand on its own. And then later I figure out how it connects to the book. Mm-hmm. But I will say no plan B. And I, I didn't invent the phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely represents my life. I mean, when I was around 20, I decided I was going to be a photographer. I was on a road trip. And, you know, staying in shitty motels, we were delivering a car to Denver. You know, those drive cars, you know, dr- deliver a car for somebody. Car driveways? Yeah, I was a professional driver at 20. That's um, So I was delivering this car and I realized, that, you know, I don't know if it was an epiphany, but it certainly there was the moment where I said, this is all I want to do. I never had anything before, except maybe when I was 14 and wanted to be a baseball player on the Yankees. But other than that, I never had something where I said, this is what I want to do forever. And so... I had no backup plan. I had no family with any money to pay my bills. And I had no skills that were discernible, certainly at that age. I mean, the things I used to get in trouble for when I was young, now I'm paid for. So what's the irony there, right? So, you know, staying the, so I had nothing. So the no plan B was I'm going to be a photographer. And I kind of went in like not even knowing what that meant, if that makes sense. I, 
all right, I'll be a photographer. I'll just do this for a living. People will pay me to take pictures. Uh, the naivety or the lack of fear or, you know, I guess there was some fear. I don't really remember having any fear. I feel like I'm supposed to say I was afraid, but I wasn't afraid. I just figured I would do it. I wasn't afraid of being poor. And if you're not afraid of being poor, I know that's like a cliche, but if you're not worried about being poor, you really can try almost anything, right? Right. There's a, there's a lot that you can handle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're poor, you're poor. And then other than that, like at least I'm doing what I want to when I was poor. When I went to Paris, I was like, well, I'm broke in New York and I've already done this. So why not be broke like out of like some, you know, like a 30s Paris kind of rom- you know, romantic idea. I'll go to Paris and be poor. So. So and at the very start of your book, there's one, it opens with a, like a sentence that you wrote. And it says, my job is to find stuff and report back. Isn't that clever? That is clever. <laughs> and it made me, it made me think, I mean, I really thought about that for, for a while. And I, and I thought, well, I could ask you, what does that mean? But it certainly means what, what it says. But Self-evident, yeah. Right. But I think more, um, the, the question is more, do you see yourself as a storyteller or do you think a storyteller is different than someone who is kind of reporting something that exists in the world? Hmm. That's, uh, wow, an original question. I love it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I will say this. I love that question because it, you do have to think about what you're up to. And I, I honestly believe what I do is the same thing you do when you're eight years old and you point out the car window and go, mom, look at that. I really think that's all I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know, people who do what I do or what we do, mm-hmm. I, you do a little, well, I've seen your work too, but people who do this sort of thing, I think at the end of the day, we're doing it because it's interesting to us. And then we're lucky if anyone else gives a shit. That's and I mean, that's the only way I can sort of uh, resolve it in my mind is I've been running around for 35 years pointing at shit. I mean, I know there's a way I'm taking pictures. I, it's, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I know how, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm great. I know what I'm doing. I know I'm sort of doing it in a way that I see things. I know what I'm conveying, but at the end of the day, all I'm doing is looking at stuff that I find sort of fascinating. Mm-hmm. And my hope, I guess, if I care is that other people find it interesting too. And if they do, then I get interviewed by you. And if they don't, well, at least I'm looking at stuff that interests me. And so I'm satisfied, I think. Do you find the things that you're photographing interesting in a visual way or in some way about what what is humans are expressing or experience? Yeah. Like on what level? Uh, it's bigger than just a visual thing. But the only way I have of interpreting it is visually. Like if I was a writer... You know, I could write about it. And I've written. I've written for magazines. And I write little bloggy, posty things on Facebook. I say things. Um, but it all is – I don't know how to really do it well as a – you know, Lewis Hine. And uh, anyone listening who doesn't know who Lewis Hine is, he's, he's an important photographer. Look him up. But he once said, if I could tell the story in words, I wouldn't have to lug this big camera around. And on some level, I'm not capable of conveying how I'm feeling and what I'm seeing without a camera. And I'm not even sure, actually, what I am doing. You know, I think there's a couple of different kinds of photographers. One is the type who has an idea and goes out and executes it. Mm-hmm. And I think another is a type who takes pictures all the time and figures out later what they're interested in, if that makes sense. Sure. And, and I think yeah, that's, that's – that, that is – that I, I think about that a lot, too, because sometimes I can be one and sometimes I can be the other. And I think that the, the, what you're describing in the, your second description there is um, – 
some photographers have a response. Like they feel they're, they're just, they're, their constant kind of frame of mind is to respond to the environment that they're in, respond, respond, respond. And, and in some ways interpret, I mean, their response is a, a kind of subjective interpretation maybe. Well, clearly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Gary Winogrand simplified it when he said, as take pictures to see what things look like photographed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, that's an easy way to say it. I think, listen, I'm holding my phone and I take pictures. because Obviously, there's something wrong with me that I keep taking pictures. I mean, I understand I'm up to something, whether it's a therapy, whether it's a compulsion. I don't know what it is, but I never stop doing it. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things about this point of my career and my life is I have no sense of urgency or... Uh, it's great because I don't need to get more pictures. I have a lot of pictures. Mm-hmm. So if I get one on a trip of two weeks, that's awesome. In the old days, if I got one picture after two or three weeks, I'd feel disappointed. I'd get it. Cause in the, the baseline way in the beginning, way in the uh, way back when I thought if I get one picture a year, that's really good mm-hmm. in 40 years, I'll have a book. I sort wow. of always thought in terms of that. And I, and that was honest. It wasn't just say it was for myself. I really believe this. Now, what I've done is I don't think I've become a better photographer, but I've become more efficient. I know how to get to where I want to be quicker. I still have to find stuff, but finding stuff is the party. I mean, you know, it's the process. If, if it's, if I was only results oriented, I'd be sad all the time, but I'm process oriented. I think this sounds all kinds of like, you know, technical, but I'm process oriented that I love doing it. And then if I get something, it's the icing on the cake. And apparently they can't all be accidents if I keep getting things I like. Now, whether other people like them or not is a whole different thing. But as long as I like them, something's working. Does that make that make sense, right? Of course. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. So I don't know. My job is to find stuff and report back was a little statement I made on Facebook as like, you know, it was genuine, but it was also, you know, I was trying to say something catchy. And then a guy I know at uh, Apple wrote to me and said, actually timing it right around this book, he wrote to me and said, um, was that your phrase or did you get that from someone else? I said, no, I came up with it. And he goes, I want to use it in a presentation. I love it. And that's when I thought, oh, I guess it resonated with some people. And this guy I know is smart and I liked him. So I said, oh, I'll put that in the front of the book. I usually have other people's quotes and stuff. But mm-hmm. I thought if I'm going to get narcissistic and do a, a retrospective, because let's be honest, it is, I might as well use my own quote. So I did. Yeah, no, I think it, it works really well. And I think it sets... It sets a nice tone for the book, for what you're about to see as someone who's going through the book. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that because that is what I wanted. Yeah. I th- you I know, th- I didn't I want, you know, a lot of times when you get a forward for a book, Ann Tucker yeah. um, from Houston mm-hmm. wrote the forward to my first book and it became an afterward. And I said to her, I love what you wrote. It all makes sense. But can we put it at the end so people don't have an idea beforehand? For it to end? But I think in this one, it made sense. I, yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the design process for, for example, you have, I mean, I saw the book as a PDF, so I'm, inter- I'm kind of interpreting this. You don't have a copy of the book? No. Oh man, that's going to have to be changed. That All will right. be changed. I'm yes. Sure. Well, now I've said it and I've said it. It's, it's, yeah. It's true. Um, I've recorded it. It's, it's going to happen. <laughs> well, let me, I, let me, I, I, have a, I have a, you didn't design the book. Okay. But you approved the design, no? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So how it works at Peanut Press is, I mean, not always, but Ashley Stoll is the designer. So she designed the book, actually the cover and all that on an airplane and sent me kind of stuff. But previously I've designed books. I did the edit and the sequencing and figured out where stuff was going to be. She did, she did the design. I mean, the, the, as far as the fonts and the 
the cover material and stuff. We did that sort of together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she was a designer. But everything I do as far as books for myself, not other people, mm-hmm. for myself, all has to sort of look like Lee Friedlander's photographs from like the 60s. I mean, those are the like the Americans, although the Americans are a little different. I'm like an old square when it comes to books for myself. I really want it to be you know, pictures on their own and, and no bleed. And I want it to be, here's your photograph. Take a look at it with a white background, like a mat. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at books. Although I did make a book that was a plastic box filled with pictures. But um, yeah, I'm pretty straightforward about that. Oh no, did I screw up the question? No, no, that's perfectly okay. fine. <laughs> so go ahead. Yes, okay. What other books does Peanut Press produce? So Peanut Press started like this. I'll tell the Peanut Press story. The very abbreviated version. So Ashley Stoll uh, was working on a project called Charth Vader. And it was these pictures of her son wearing a Charth Vader mask in different situations. Oh, I remember that book. Yeah. So that, so I worked on that book with Ashley. She came to me because I'd done other books, said, will you help me put this together? It went viral. It became really, mm-hmm. so we put the book together uh, and it went viral and sold out in like two weeks. And it was if you're in L.A., it was on the news, on ABC. It was everywhere. And the book sold out. And people started emailing me and Ashley saying, who made the book for you? And how'd you do it? And blah, blah, blah. And Ashley and I basically had a conversation saying, why don't we do this for other people? Mm-hmm. So we did. So that started the after the Charles Vader book about a year ago. We started working with photographers. Uh, we've put out three books for, so far besides Charth Vader, so four in total. We did a book for Richard Bram and a book for Rami Narula. Mm-hmm. Um, we do all our printing in the United States at Meridian, which is, I think, if not the best printer in the world, without a doubt, the best printer in the United States. Um, they do Freelander's books and they've done Avedon's books and Irving Penn and Kudelka and, you know, uh, the Nick Brandt books and, you know, the ones of the animals in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um all this stuff because we see Thomas Roma's books because we see them when we're on press. So we've made three books so far. We're working on a book right now for Victoria Will, which is tintype she shot at the Sundance Film Festival of the Celebrities for a couple of years. I always see those right around the time that they've been taken. Like in what Sundance? Of- yeah, yeah. There's yeah. I always see them like for the last. That's right, exactly for the last. I don't think I saw them this year, but the last, last year she didn't of do years. it. She did it differently last year, but actually yeah. she got a lot of press. Because she took the last photo of Philip Seymour Hoffman before right. he died, which right. is this great image, you know. And Victoria's looks, great. He looks like not not in good shape at all. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, and I don't think she knew that at the time. But anyway, so her book we're hopefully going to press in May, end of May, and she's like one of my favorite people in the world. What's great about making books for other people is you get it's a really intimate thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make a book company where it wasn't about like can we make fifty books a year and make lots of money. I mean, if I'm going to do that, I'll sell T-shirts. You know, I don't need to do something this personal. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool that Ashley and I are both photographers and we work with photographers and we get, I mean, at least I hope we get, that this is something that's more than just a product. That This is very personal and matters. I mean, you've made a book. You know, it's it can get really fucking weird and personal and odd. And we want to do that with the photographers. But everybody has a good experience. So we're doing it with Victoria. We're going to do one this year with Paris Vizzone, who photographs she tours with rock bands, but she photographs them just like her family. She's backstage, kind of a Jim Marshall approach, but mm-hmm. very Paris style. Mm-hmm. And so we're, the book is going to be her family and rock stars all blended because you can't tell the difference. Wow. The way she hangs out with everyone from Fred Durst to like Marilyn Manson compared to her cousins. It's, it's, you know, she went on tour with Blondie the first time and took these pictures. And then all the other bands kind of wanted her to go out with them too. 
because she shows them not just on stage, she shows their lives. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, it's fascinating. So we're going to do her book this year too. Great. We have a whole bunch of stuff coming up. Yeah, it's fun. It's like the dream come true, like late in my career that I have the luxury of doing this with other people. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what are you working on now personally? Well, you know, a friend of mine said to me last year, what's your new book about? And I said, it's about me. And he laughed and said, no, really. And I said, you've known me a long time. Yes, really. So I'm continuing to take pictures. And I honestly believe I'll never make another book because there's just too much of me out there. But everybody says I'm lying. So I don't know. You know, like I wouldn't have this book if like didn't ask me to do the show. But I do get the head nod like, yeah, I thought the last one was your last one. So the answer to your question is I keep taking pictures for myself. And every once in a while I get one I really like. And then maybe when I have another 50, uh, we'll do another book. I don't know. Okay. And where can people find uh, find your book, No Plan B? So Bye. No Plan B is available from peanutpressbooks.com. It's www.peanutpressbooks.com. Uh, but you can, Google, you can go to my website, and it's the first thing you see. And now it's starting to go into stores. What we did was because we're, you know, we wanted to be a mom and pop organization. We want to sell, and we did it with Richard Brand's book, and we did it with Charth, and we did it with Rammy's, and we did it with mine. We want to sell enough books on our own through social media and our website and getting articles. You know, there's a, I had a bunch of articles about me and a bunch of articles about, you know, everybody. That sells a lot of books because what we're trying to do is make these books so that nobody gets hammered with these prices. You know, I'm not going to say any names. And now's the part where I usually do, but I won't. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say any names, but, you know, they come to photographers and go, give us $50,000 we'll make your book. And what happens is they make the books, they dump them into Amazon, and the photographer has 500 books sitting in his garage. Right. That's, you know, it's a simplification, but that happens to people all the time. We don't want to do that. We want to get the books out there. We want to sell them and keep the costs down, even though we're using the premium printer in the United States. So you can buy the books through our website, but now PhotoEye has them. PhotoEye is on, you know, online. Sure. And we're going to start distributing No Plan B through stores. Leica sells them. Yeah, they'll be in their stores. But to be perfectly honest, once we've sold enough books, I don't really care. I will never dump my books into Amazon and have them sell for 18 bucks mm-hmm. because my mind is like, fuck it. You know, people paid 30. I made the book inexpensive, I think, $35. You know, lots of books are out there for 50 or 60 and it probably wasn't the smartest business decision to make it $35, but I wanted people to, you know, be able to get it. Sure. And I'm not going to dump it into Amazon and sell them for $12 or $14 because that says fuck you to all the people who paid 35 Right. You know, so that's, and I know that that's probably not the best business model, but I don't care. So that's how, that's how that works. But yes, you can buy the books through my website, through Peanut Press and PhotoEye. But buy it from us, not PhotoEye. PhotoEye can't hear this, right? Well, they can. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Eventually. PhotoEye has sold uh-huh. tons of stuff for me. PhotoEye is the number one source in my mind for getting photography books. I love it. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So better, uh, there you go. Okay. Well, thanks for talking with me today about your book, No Plan B. I hope I said something that mattered. You did. Okay, good. You did. I wish wish we had more time to talk about things like Lee Friedlander. I love Lee Friedlander. I I thought so, but we didn't didn't have a chunk of time. Who doesn't love Lee Friedlander? Let me just say this about Lee Friedlander. I'm not going to let you go. Lee Friedlander. When I was in college, he was the guy. And here's why. Took pictures of everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's, That's the given. But he was married. He had kids. He lived a normal life. 
Mm-hmm. And every other photographer had like nine wives and was paying all the guys I met, you know, paying alimony. And I'm not going to name any names because I love a lot of their work too. But mm-hmm. Lee Freelander me made his own books. He did everything the right way. Mm-hmm. Like, so if I wanted to model my life after somebody, Lee Freelander was oh. the dude. So <laughs> I'll say that about Lee Freelander. That's it. All right. Good to talk with you. We done? We're done. Bye, everybody. That was photographer David Carroll discussing his new book, No Plan B, which was published by Peanut Press. You can purchase his book on the Peanut Press website at peanutpressbooks.com. New books in photography podcasts are hosted remotely by me, Lorena Turner, and edited by me as well. If you have a new photography-related book coming out and would like to talk about it with me for about an hour, send me a message through the New Books in Photography Facebook page. This goes for monographs, theoretical texts, as well as books on the history of photography. On the next episode of New Books in Photography, I'll talk with photographer John Neal about his book, Focus in Photography, Master the Advanced Techniques That Will Change Your Photography Forever. John was trained as a fine artist and spent much of his career working at Kodak during the transition from film photography to digital image making. He has a fascinating connection to photography as both an inventor and an artist. I hope you'll join us.